This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. I've got a powerful word. I just uh, am excited to be able to share God's word with you. I know we've been going deep and I'm just so proud of you guys because you're going deeper and deeper into the word with us each uh, and every week as we've been studying the seven churches of Revelation. We've called it, we've titled this series, Dear Church, because in every letter that uh, the apostle John penned under the vision that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to him was a revelation to the churches in Asia Minor, and yet there is, a, there is a message for us today. It's so applicable, and we can see it, and we can take away from it. And so today, we're going to dive into our next church. So take your Bibles, turn in your devices, get your notes ready. You're going to want to get some notes today of this one. We're going to be looking at the church of Pergamos. Uh, Pergama is another way of saying it, and it's the church that was living in enemy territory. That's the church that was living in enemy territory. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. This city is filled and was filled with temples where sacrifices were being offered to pagan gods. It was a very wicked city. It was a city where spiritually it was very, very dark. Literally, it would be, it would be you would sense the demonic spirits and, and you would sense the, the, the move really in the, in the heavenlies of a demonic force and impact there. Well, Pergama is right in the middle of this wicked city. In fact, we're going to see it in a moment. Two times in our passage, it's called the seat of Satan. And right in the middle of it is the church that was there. And the church was allowing some of the wickedness and some of the evil to begin to come into the church and worldly activities that maybe they had practiced when they were in the world. Now they were bringing with them into the church. And there is a message that the Lord has for them. So Revelation chapter 2 in verse 12 is where we are today. It says, the angel of the church of Pergamum write, to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Let's pause right there. Father, I thank you again for the word that you've given to us. The revelation of your word brings illumination to our life. And I ask God today, in fact, everyone right now, join with me and just say, Father, speak to me, reveal, help me understand, encourage, inspire us through your word. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. Today, I wanna share with you a few, I think, powerful thoughts that I hope that you'll take away, write them down. And the first, as I look at this passage of scripture, is what we've read already is a reminder that we've got to be aware of the surroundings in which we live. We need to be aware of our surroundings. Here it says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. He who held a sword. There's a double meaning here. Of course, there is uh, that 
which comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and, and uh, the works of him who has the sword, the double-edged sword. But really, this reference is talking about the proconsul of Rome. You see, the highest authority in the entire Roman providence of Asia lived right here in Pergamum. He was the judge. He was the governor. He was the executor. He had the final say in all things pertaining to the law. And believers were living under the shadow of his sword. And this is a time we've been looking week after week. There was great persecution. Christians, Christ uh, Christians, Christ's followers, I pause there because I keep wanting to, to hold on to the thought of Christ followers. If Christ followers would not come before Caesar, the proconsul, if they wouldn't come before him, the emperor, and declare that Caesar is Lord, then the proconsul would would uh, demand or execute judgment upon them. And uh, the proconsul opposed believers in a great, great way. So this is the surrounding of the passage for the believers in Pergamum. Here, they're living under this demonic, this demonic, if it would be, environment. Pagan temples are all around them. And, and here, Christ understood the spiritual oppression that was coming against them. I mean, we see in scripture that there are principalities and powers and rulers and the darkness and, and the spiritual wickedness. Now, I've lived overseas. I've been into Eastern Europe and all through Eastern Europe. I can remember when I first went to Budapest, Hungary, a young missionary, 27 years old, took our three-year-old son, my wife and I, we'd never been there. Fall of communism had just taken place and we moved in to Budapest, Hungary. And that was gonna be our life, that was gonna be our ministry for three years uh, uh, before we would ever be coming back uh, here to America. And I can just remember those days where you felt the darkness, you felt the heaviness, you felt the wickedness. I mean, for years and years and years, they were taught there is no no God. There, there wasn't a belief in the, in the very essence of who God would be and, and what God could do in their life. And there we were as missionaries to present the gospel message. The, 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 the attack of oppression. I mean, everywhere there was, there was such an attack. And it was all through society in so many different ways. Well, here is the same thing that the church of Pergamos was going through is that there was this demonic, demonic, heavy, wicked, evil environment. A second thing here we see was that there was the sword of the proconsul, which meant that he was the executor, the judge. He was the one that they were fearing for their life. And then the, uh, the dreadful circumstances of day-to-day -day life. In fact, in our passage of scripture, it goes on uh, to say to us that Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where where Satan lives. Antipas was a he was a faithful Christ follower. He was a believer. He was one that was leading the way and helping to bring deliverance to many who had been demon possessed. In fact, tradition tells us that he was martyred for his faith. I mean, it was a cruel execution. He was put into a, a, a brazen uh, bull and, 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 and put into fire and he was roasted under that fire in that brazen bull that he would have been placed 
placed into like a, like a hot container. And that's how he was martyred for his faith. He stood up. He stood up against the pro-council. He stood up for Christ. He was not intimidated by what was happening in culture around. He lived boldly for the Lord, and yet he was martyred for his faith. See, I'm telling you, when we look into Revelation, there's a reminder to you, to you and I. I mentioned it last week, if you were with me, that there is a cost in our faith. There is, a, there, is a, there is a sacrifice that we pay. When we come to the Lord, we're surrendering to him. And here in Revelation, we see, we see that persecution comes on the church and believers are gonna have to stand for their faith and they're gonna have to hold on and they're gonna have to declare that God, I'm your vessel and I do what I do for you and I lift up your name no matter what comes my way. Now, for most of us, we've never experienced this kind of persecution. And I'm just praying that as we walk through these churches and we look at these messages from the Lord, that there is something ringing in our hearts and our minds and our, our ears and our spirits that says, God, I'm holding on to you and I'm not going to let you go. Can I just hear an amen right now, right where you're at? Just say, Lord, I receive that strength that comes from you. Come on, let me hear it right now. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, here we see... I think we really see a couple things that helps us in this passage to endure our surroundings. He says to him, yet you remained true to my name. I think one of the keys to enduring the surroundings that we live in is that there is a determination that I'm going to remain true. That I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to, to give in. I'm going to, it literally means I'm going to hold fast. I refuse to bow. I'm not going to bow. In fact, it's, it's the idea that you take a hold of something. You, you grip it. There's a powerful grip that's there. We teach a lesson in school of discipleship called seize the opportunity. Well, this word has that, that you're seizing the Lord. You're, you're holding on to him and you're going to remain true, that you're embracing. Now, I want you to hear me right now. If we're going to make it through our surroundings, a church that lives in enemy territory. I believe that we're living, we're living in a time and an age that we can feel the wickedness and we can feel darkness and we can feel the attack of the enemy. I mean, now, week after week after week, we're seeing wickedness. It's like, it's like it's being turned up on the knob and we have to forget that our battle is against the principalities of the air, spiritual forces and wickedness. I mean, week after week, it's like it's going hotter and hotter. The, the, the tension, the divide, racism and, and cruelty and deaths and, and, and shootings and, and all that we see around us. It's just like it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And we've got to be a church and a people and a follower of Christ, a church that says, God, I'm holding on to you and I'm not letting go and I'm embracing your words. I'm believing, oh God, that you are the one that will set us free. It's by the blood of Jesus that we find forgiveness of sin. And I'm relying on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. You see, we've got to remain true. Even when the, man, even in the pressure where we feel like the, like the vice is, 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 is pressing in on us and I, and I can even feel it right now and you feel that pressure there. There's something that says, God, I'm holding on. I'm seized and I'm not letting go. I'm not compromising my faith. I will not 
surrender. Just say amen. Tap, tap it into the box there. Chat it in and just say, God, I'm not letting go. I'm remaining true. How do you endure? How do you endure your surroundings? How do you endure when you're living in the middle of the enemy's territory? I mean, maybe it's in the workplace where you work. Maybe the reality is the, 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 the wickedness and the evil that's there. Maybe it's in a relationship environment that you're in and you sense it. Somebody's attacking. Somebody's coming at you. You see, we face, we face the enemy in so many different ways of our life. And there's got to be a determination in our heart that we will remain true. The second thing I see in this scripture, which is really a key to surviving our environment, the, the, the wickedness and the evil and the attack of the enemy is it says that they did not renounce. Renounce. They did not renounce. They refused to renounce their faith. They rejected. They rejected the thought. They rejected the, the, the ideas, the, 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 the knowledge of the enemy that would, would come and, and try to bring a, a false accusation against God in our mind and get you to rationalize and compromise. They refuse to walk away. I mean, it's really a word that, that holds on to this idea that they were not unfaithful. They weren't unfaithful to his name. They weren't unfaithful to the cause of Christ and the mission of Christ, but they continued to hold on tightly. So they were aware. They were aware of their surroundings. A second thing I want you to see in this passage is we've got to be aware. Be aware not only of the surroundings we live in, but we need to be, in, we need to be aware of what we embrace. You see, when you're living in the enemy's territory, when you're living with the pressure and when you're living under the demonic, if it would be heaviness and, and, and the demonic environment of oppression, when you're living in an environment, and I'm telling you, I've been there. I've lived in these kind of environments as a missionary and over, uh, overseas work. I felt that. And I'm telling you, I'm sensing it. I'm feeling it in America like I did when I first went into a communistic controlled country. And one of the keys is being aware of what you embrace. Look here at this scripture. In verse 14, it says, nevertheless, so these are good things. You remain true. You didn't renounce. But nevertheless, you have a few, I have a few things against you. You have people, you have people there who hold on to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. So he says here, if we stop for a moment, that you have some that are there that are, that are embracing this, this teaching or this, this idea of Balaam. So let me give you a moment, don't, don't lose me for a minute, but let me give you a moment to understand what happened in the Old Testament here. See, Balaam was an Old Testament priest. Now he was not, hear me, he was not a prophet of God, but he was connected, in fact, to the God of Baal. But yet he was considered at this time a voice for the spirit realm, not God's spirit, but in the spirit realm, evil spirits. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, we see that Balaam was involved in all sorts of occult practices, which would enable him to see the future. And in many cases, 
cast curses on others. So here, Balaam comes to King uh, Balak, and actually King Balak went to him, and he wanted Balaam to cast a curse on Israel. This is found in the book of Numbers. Well, Balaam refused at first, but then King Balak, the Moabite king, offered him a great sum of money. And so Balaam strived and, and tried to cast three different times a curse on Israel. And he was not able to. And that's an important point I'll come back to in a moment. He wasn't able to. And so he came up with a strategic plan on how to destroy strategically God's people. Now, don't be denied. Don't, 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 don't think that the enemy's not strategically trying right now to entrap you. You're living in enemy territory. You've got to be aware of your surroundings, but you also need to be aware of what you embrace. You see, Balaam gave to King Balak, gave him a strategic plan on how to destroy God's people. How, to, in a sense, to put a stumbling block before the people of God that would trip up the children of Israel. I mean, it's, it's like a trap, something that's being laid before someone, and there is an enticement there. Well, that's what the enemy is doing to you and I. He's enticing us. He's, he's trying to get us to, to take that, to, to, to lure us into the cage, into the trap, so that we can be stumbling and falling and, uh, and we can, uh, in a sense, renounce and turn away. Well, what was the stumbling block of Balaam? This is important, especially to the men that are, that are uh, tuning in with me right now. What was important was the stumbling block that Balaam used was he devised this plan that said, have the Moabite women begin to seduce the Israelite men. And in a sense, let them become the, the, the entrapment, the, the bait, the, 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 the lure. And sexuality became the trap for them. Now, the Israelite men at this time were away from their wives and, and families. They were far out. They were away from them. And the Israelite men began to lust for the women. They begin to desire the women. And so what you see happening is they're lowering their convictions. What's the stumbling block when you're in enemy territory? Beware of what you embrace because the enemy wants you to lower your convictions. Because if you lower your convictions, you'll be lured into the enticement of the trap. The temptation will bring you in. When I look across the spectrum of Christianity, that's what I see happening is many are, are, are lowering their convictions and they're, they're running after the enticement of the enemy. Now, the enticement from the enemy can be so many different things and it'll hit different ones of us in different ways. But he's desiring that you lower your, convince, uh, your convictions. Now, once the, the Israelite men yielded to the temptation, what it did then is it led them to begin to intermarry. It began to uh, lead into relationship with the Moabite women. And now it led them to the altar of Baal where they would begin to participate in the profane worship on top of the mountain there, especially in, 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 in the Old Testament where we're reading it, and sexual sins and temple prostitution, they would enter into all of that, which really leads to the second thing that the enemy does. When you begin to lower your conviction, you begin to entertain the sin. You begin to rationalize it. You begin to justify it. You begin to make excuses about it. You begin to concoct why it's okay. 
and how you can get out of it or, 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 or why it's different for you than it is for someone else. And this is what the Bible says happens is we begin, when we lower our conviction, we begin to entertain the sin, rationalizing, justifying, making an excuse. And sure enough, the men of Israel began to bow down to the pagan gods. They joined into the rituals. It was forbidden by God. And yet they become callous, callous to the commands of the Lord. They yielded their beliefs and they began to do what they desired, what they wanted. And, and in the scripture there, in Numbers 25, verse 3, it says, they joined with Baal. What happened is there was a moral surrender. When you lower your convictions, you begin to rationalize it, you are beginning to join with Join with the environment. Join with the, the, the wicked and the evilness and that which the enemy is planning. And the problem is that we get blinded to it and we rationalize it to the point that we begin to defend it as though it's truth. And they compromised. They compromised. And as they compromised, it entered into and it, and, it, and it led them into a moral and a sexual defilement that was against the Lord. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. Why? It's because they turned away from God. Why? It's because they turned to false gods and they incurred the divine judgment. God will not be mocked. You and I have got to be aware of the word and he's calling you and I. It's a time to be ready, to hold on, to hold true, not to renounce. Here we go back to the, to the encouragement to the churches, remain true. But if we don't remain true, we'll rationalize it. We'll, we'll begin to justify it and it'll lead us to compromise. And boy, that's what God hates is when the people of Israel all through the Old Testament when they would compromise their love to him. When we entertain these thoughts, we eventually begin to participate in that which we're thinking about. The closer we get, the more we begin to partake of it. And that's why God says, I hate this. Why? Because he knows when you start thinking about it, you're gonna start speaking about it. And before long, you're gonna start acting it out. You're gonna be again to, to do it, behave in, in the way that you were thinking about it. Why? Because you're embracing that's why I'm saying to you, be aware of what you embrace. There's no option when it comes to Christ. You can't live in two worlds. You've got to determine I'm going to live in the values of the kingdom of God or I'm not. And what the enemy wants you to do is think you can compromise. Think that you can, you can have feed in, in both worlds. We'll be looking at that in a few weeks. That's why. That's why you got to be aware of what you embrace. So first of all, he says... Balaam, he gives us this idea that there are some there in your church that are beginning to embrace the teaching and, and, the, and the, if it would be the, the spiritual influence of Balaam, where Balaam, Balaam had this plan to lure Israel, Israel men especially, into temptation that would bring the curse upon themselves. Now, what's interesting, and you got to remember this, and I don't want you to forget this, is Balaam tried three times to cast a curse 
over Israel. And he couldn't do it. So he had to concoct a plan that would get the Israelites to the point that they would rationalize and they would begin to embrace that lust that was in their heart. And as they did, they would bring a curse on themselves. They would open the door by engaging in the temptation. Now, this is what you can't forget is that the enemy can't touch you. You're God's. You are bought with a price. You're covered in the blood of the lamb. Can I hear an amen? You see, unless God allows it, the enemy can't touch you. Why would he allow it? Well, we see in the life of Job and others, life of Peter, he allows us to go through times of testing or allows the enemy to bring temptation into our life to test us, to to approve us, to to make sure that, that we are standing strong in our true love for him. But ultimately... It's my decision, it's my choice, it's my sinful uh, choices or behavior that brings destruction into my own life. And that's why week after week, I keep challenging you to live the life that would lead you into righteousness. There is a walk of obedience and that walk of obedience brings the blessing and the peace of God into your life. Can I just hear an amen for a moment? So he talks about Balaam. But then the second thing, and I know that I'm taking a moment to unpack it, but it's so good, I don't want you to miss it. Then there is the the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans that he refers to was a group of false teachers. They were in Ephesus. I didn't deal with it last week because I knew I was going to be dealing with it here or two weeks ago. But they were in Ephesus, but they're also here in Pergamum. Now, the Nicolaitans reasoned, and it sounds good at first, In fact, you're going to recognize it when I mention it. And later, before I wrap up, I'm going to share with you some modern Nicolaitan uh, beliefs that we need to be aware of. But this group of believers kind of reasoned, well, what harm is there in making a few compromising, few compromises? What, What harm is it if we're going to reach our neighbors, those that are unbelievers. Now, in, 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 in biblical times, they would call them pagan neighbors. All of this idol worship and all of the temple would, uh, worship that would go on there of all the different pagan gods that was there. The Nicolaitans would, would reason, we've got to be more open. We've got to be able to lower. We're, we're too legalistic. It's, it's too demanding. They won't ever cross over. A way that maybe we hear that in church worlds is we've got to be a little bit more seeker sensitive. Those that are seeking, we got to be a little bit more seeker sensitive and seeker friendly so that they'll come to Christ. Well, that was kind of the way it is in a way is that we've got to, if it would be, lower our standards, lower that which we're expecting. And, 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 and because the social and the religious life was so, if it would be, inter connected that if you wanted to reach your neighbors, you would find yourself going to dinner with them. And as you would sit down for dinner, that meal that got blessed was actually, if it would be, being offered to uh, the pagan gods. It was being offered to one of the the, the pagan uh, rituals that would be taking place there. And so you would find yourself participating in that just by having a social event with one of your neighbors. So they would ration, why not? Why not enter the pagan temples? Why not? 
burn a little bit of the pagan incense? Why not do that? I mean, if it's going to make peace with us, remember they were under the pro-council, the sword of the pro-council. So if it'll give us a little bit of peace, what's, hap- what's wrong with that? And maybe as we do it, we'll be able to influence them for Christ. And so they begin to... Uh, in a sense, encourage others in the church to compromise their convictions. Now, I said last week, and I want to just say it again, I truly believe that when you and I, followers of Christ, when we lower our convictions, biblical convictions that we can stand on, I'm not talking about traditions or rituals or customs. We, we see that in all cultures, all backgrounds, but I'm talking about biblical convictions. When we lower them, we always lose as the body of Christ. We lose power. We lose holiness in our life. We lose the victory. And in the end, the, 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 that witness that God has for us, we lose. Now, I want to touch you for a second before I move on here. I'm going to touch your heart. I just want to encourage you right here that the reality is we're going. We're living in enemy territory. We're going to face temptation. Temptation isn't the sin It's when we give in to the temptation. It's when we take a hold of it. We're living in a day where we're going to be tempted to compromise our faith. We're living in a time where it's easy to begin to rationalize and justify. Well, if we modify a little, if we do this, culture's changing, so much is happening. If we will change too, we'll reach more people. Now, the method is not what's important. It's the message of Christ. It's the word of God. That's why the last several weeks we've been saying, be anchored in the word. Know the authentic word. We cannot compromise the word of God. God's word is unchangeable. And so we must be as believers because even if there's pressures underneath us to compromise our faith, even if we're sensing we gotta, we've, gotta, we've gotta give in a little bit here, when we do, we lose. And I want you to know that. We lose. We can't, we can't compromise. We can't surrender convictions that are based on the, on the word of God. We yield to God's word. We yield to the spirit of God. And when we stand strong there, the Bible says that God will give us strength. The truth is the truth. It's the word and we cannot budge on the word of God. It's never changing. And it's what we can hold on to uh, for generations and generations and generations. Can I hear an amen for a moment? That's why the scripture says in John 14, six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the what? the life. That's right. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the only way. I am the truth. And if you be committed to my word and to my ways, if you will commit to me, then you remain strong. Don't renounce. Then you, when you hold fast, you will get my reward. Now, I know that that was pretty deep as we looked into it, but there's a warning for you and me is that we've got to be aware Be aware of our surroundings. And we've got to be aware of what we're embracing because we're living in a time where there's so much, so much coming at us. And we've got to be aware of what we're embracing. Why is it so important? It's because there is a warning and it comes out of verse 16. The warning is this, is repent. 
if you've bought in to that of Balaam, if you've bought in to the Nicolaitans uh, uh, theory and beliefs, you've lowered convictions, you rationalize sin, you've compromised. If this is happening, you need to repent or otherwise I will come to you and I, wow, will fight against you. I will come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You see, there was a need, a need that was being issued to them is if you recognize it, if you see it, if it's happening, you've bought into it, then we've got to repent. Each week, each message to the church of Revelation, it's a message of repent. Repentance is not emotion. Repentance is a decision that says I'm going to turn. It's a radical, complete change, a change of behavior, a change of direction, a change that says, God, I'm going to align with you. And here it betrays this idea of a complete turnaround. I mean, where one was thinking or believing or living or doing one thing, and now they're making a decision to get on a different path, to make a change. And when you do it, you're aligning. The change you're making is aligning to God's word, uh, aligning to God's ways and what God wants to do. So the warning is repent. We've been talking about it week after week, so I don't have to uh, unpack it much more, but it's to repent. And man, there is that internal decision that says, God, I make this decision. I'm turning to you. So Jesus was telling he was telling the believers of Pergamum, return to me, repent, make a change in your belief, in your behaviors, change the way you're living. Stop believing that you can compromise your values because if you believe that, you're gonna embrace it and you're gonna begin to live it out. And when we do, we miss what God has. And so the challenge then comes in verse 17. And I love this challenge here. He says, he who has an ear, we keep hearing that, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So he says the key, the challenge is we've got to overcome. We've got to press on. We've got to overcome. We remain true. We renounce. We stand strong. We recognize uh, the surroundings we're living in. We begin to recognize the, the, the teachings that we're embracing or the things that we're embracing. And we repent if we see that it's come into. We compromise. We've embraced that. We repent of it. And when we do, he says that he will give to us when we overcome. And it's going to be the promise in a moment. And that is the hidden manna. Now, before I jump to the very end uh, here in our final moments uh, of, our, of our passage of scripture today, I want to just give you just real quick, I'm going to just kick them out to you. I want to give you some signs of what modern uh, Nicolaitism looks like today. First of all, I would say that modern signs of Nicolaitism today is that there's no emphasis on living a holy and a separated life from the world that we live in. We're living under the, the guise of inclusiveness, that, 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 that we've got to be inclusive, that we shouldn't separate from the world and the values of this world, that we're in this world and, and therefore we need to be inclusive and, and all viewpoints are acceptable, even if they're contrary to the teachings of the word or the doctrines found in the Bible. 
Well, the message I have to tell you is a message that we've got to be, we got to be careful of. In fact, it says in the end times, people's ears, they will run after what is a, a tickling in their ears. This idea that I can, I can embrace all these doctrines, all these beliefs, and it's okay. And so there's no emphasis on holy living and living separated from the world's values. See, the gospel doesn't give you an option to live one foot in and one foot out, one foot over here and one foot over there. The Bible is very, very clear. We have to make a choice. A second sign is that there's no emphasis on the doctrinal teachings of the Bible. In fact, scripture in this kind of environment is used much more motivationally. It's, it's like a speech. In fact, uh, it's used for illustrations. It's used for just good points. And most of the doctrines of the Bible are explained away. They're, they're dismissed. Maybe they're, they're, uh, they're, 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 they're rationalized away that, that that is not the way it is today. And they're, they're used. Uh, references in the Bible, scriptures are, are used more for, like I said, illustrations or a motivational sermon or principles that are good, good principles. In fact, I've heard many, I'm not speaking against any of those that would be preaching them, but I've heard many so-called sermons where very few scriptures are even referenced or given. Maybe one scripture and then it's a phenomenal speech, a phenomenal, if it would be a, a motivational talk, but man, it didn't root me deeper into the word and the beliefs of the word and, and align me to God's ways and, God's, uh, uh, and, and to the knowledge of who God is and how God wants me to live and to walk. And so we've, we've got to be aware of that. A third is that there's no emphasis and it links to no emphasis on doctrinal teaching, but there's no emphasis on the absolute truth or the absolute biblical authority that's in the word of God. In fact, it's put more as a progressive mind, open mind kind of way. And man, we're dealing with this all around us today. Let's just think about the issues of our day right now. And boy, these are heating up more and more, especially in a, in a political time like this. They're, they're, just, they're just, you know, just getting stirred and stirred. Your view of sexuality, your view of immorality and gender issues and homosexuality, gay marriage and abortion and social issues and, and racism and injustice. I mean, all of these things that the Bible is very, very clear about. But there is a dismissive attitude of what is absolute truth and an attitude of acceptance, of, of accepting everything. This week I was reading a report from Barna, Barna Research Group and Barna reported and it struck us as pastors, Barna, uh, the, the Barna, the, excuse me, the Barna report recorded, those are three, three things I tried to put together. The Barna report recorded that 50%, 50% of evangelical Christians and believers do not believe in the absolute truth and authority of the Bible. Now, I can't, I can't even fathom that. They call themselves an evangelical Christian and 50% say they don't believe in the absolute authority of the Bible. They pick and choose their issues. They pick and choose and therefore that's what they begin to do in what they're living out in their faith. See, the basic tenets of the Christian faith are largely unknown by many in the church. That can't be. We have to be careful because the Nicolaitism 
this doctrine, this theology is filtrated into society and we've got to be aware because we're coming in to the end times. And lastly, what I see here in the signs of modern Nicolaitism is there's no exclusionary, exclusionary, can't hardly say that, belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. You see it again, it promotes tolerance, that there's many ways to get to God. Christ is only one way. And it asserts that everyone can discover their own way to God in heaven. It's like God sits on top of the mountain. And if you go through Christianity or if you go through Islam or, or Buddhism, whatever you go through, it's going to lead to heaven where God is. Well, that's a sign of the Nicolaitan belief. And Jesus was very clear. He said, I hate it. I hate it. Why do I hate it, did Jesus say? It's because it, it promotes. In fact, in, in, in other places of the New Testament, it's called a different gospel. It promotes a gospel different than the gospel of Christ. You see, this faulty belief results in a powerless, weakened version of Christianity, where sin is tolerated, separation is ignored, and the need for ongoing repentance is discarded. Week after week, we come back to the same thoughts that are in this passage here, and that is embrace the authority of God's word, embrace the authority of a sovereign God, embrace the authority of what's coming. I know it's a hard message. I know when we look at that, it's something that rings. And, 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 and when we've bought into the Nickelodeon, uh, the, the Nicolodian, the Nicolaitan uh, uh, beliefs, when we, when we buy into that, we even feel a little like, mm, pastor's a little too harsh or, or man, we're, we're not going to reach many like that. But the reality is God is very, very clear. And Jesus said, I hate it. So the final part of this passage was the promise. And the promise was that there is hidden manna that's going to be given to you and I. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. You see, a life of victory comes when you and I remain true, when we renounce and we overcome. He says, you and me, we're gonna have a consistent spiritual nourishment. We're gonna begin to, to, to be nourished. It's hidden manna from heaven and God supernaturally is going to provide for us. It's almost like a reference to the Old Testament where God supernaturally fed the children of Israel every day in the wilderness. I mean, they had food supplies. They had all that they wanted on that journey and they were, oh God, it's so hard. It's so difficult. They wanted to go back. They felt like God had abandoned, forgotten, discarded. But even that, God continued to meet their needs. I mean, he had freed them from bondage. He had protected them from the plagues. He had guided them through the Red Seas and, and everything that was there. He led them by, by cloud, by day, and fire, by night. And yet they still doubted God. They complained and they said, how will God take care of us in this wilderness? How is he going to do it? And they complained about it. And are you really taking us to the promised land? We're gonna die before we get there. And yet in God's mercy, and God is so merciful to you and I, even when we doubt, 
Even when we wander, even when we go our way, even in that moment, God in his mercy began to rain down manna from heaven to feed and to nourish them and to provide for them. I love where the scripture says that the door of heaven opened and God provided abundantly for them. I can't imagine daily you'd walk out and there's food just everywhere. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to take care of you when you hold on to my name, when you continue in my teaching, when you don't deny your faith, I'm going to supernaturally take care of you. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.